Woke up this morning with the sundown shining in him. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Trip. On a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind on a jagged sky. Okay, you know you guys aren't privy to all the new so uh, you know that's what you uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. There's just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f*** are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sundown. Hello, everybody. Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howell. Big Peppers on the board. SP Futures up 10. NASA Futures up 43. We're going to... Try again to make it to the uh, promised land here today. We were up a bunch yesterday, and then after a bunch of Fed speak, we were uh, not so much. So uh, that's where that all landed. Do we have the uh, the professor? Good morning, sir. How are you? How are you? What's, what's a good word? How's the, how's the cruise meister? Uh, it was uh, it was very nice. Um, this was a part of the world I had never been in. Uh, I've never been to Central America, and I'd never. Ironically, you know, I, I was just taking stock of how much I, you know, I traveled when I was in the military and everything else, and I had never been as far south. I've never been across the equator, and I've never been as far south as I was on this trip to the Panama Canal. So, uh, you know, sort of interesting from that perspective. And uh, the weather, the weather was nice. I, I was on a, a boat that I really, I really liked, um, Viking. We're big fans of of the Viking cruise lines and uh, Vikings ocean ships carry about 900 passengers, so it's a much more manageable size of uh, of boat, and um, things aren't swamped with uh, with people uh, every time you want to you want to try to do something. Um, and and we we had been um, because because this trip was a was a reschedule from a trip that was supposed to have gone last January we had been upgraded so we we actually had a, a penthouse and uh, we're you know we had plenty of room and I mean it was it was it was very nice so uh, I, I got I, I, I checked off a bucket list item I, I have always wanted to go through the Panama Canal ever since I ever since I read about it as a, as a you know an elementary school student in Canada I thought that was like one of the most interesting things I'd ever read about in terms of how it was constructed and what they had to do to put it together and and how it operates. And uh, now, now I've been through it. So are they are they are they both still working? The new one and the old one? Oh yeah, yeah. They're 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 running. Um, but I mean, there's the, the the old one isn't closed. The the new one, the new one. How do I rephrase this? We went we went through the old one. Our boat, our boat was small enough. That was another advantage of the smaller Viking ship. We went, we went through the old locks. We we looked over at the new locks and are they like right next to it? Yeah, yeah. They were bringing a 
uh, a uh, container ship through. Uh, I think I think the max on the old locks is like uh, fifty thousand tons or fifty thousand tons displacement. We were at well. The width is width was uh, like two two feet wider than an Iowa class battleship. Yeah, yeah. So so we we fit we fit with probably six feet on either side to spare. Um, and, and, and the, the old locks run, there are two channels for the old canal. The new canal only has one. Um, the old canal, we, so we were going through in one direction and a car, a car carrier was coming through in the other. We had about six feet on either side of us. The cargo, the car carrier was going through and it looked like it had about three or four inches on, on either side. And, so is the side and, concrete? You just keep rubbing up against it, or is there some kind of pad there or something? Well, I mean, there's it. It it's, looks like it's looks like it was concrete on on the channel we were in, um, and this this carrier had obviously rubbed um, some somewhere because it was all scraped up up and down the up and down the side. But but you don't. The, the way they've got it set up, and this is the, the engineering is fascinating. So when you come into the lock, when your ship comes into the lock, you are hooked up to two uh, diesel, well, actually three or four diesel locomotives, very specialized machines, very powerful, very heavy, and you are roped to them. And they move with you through the canal they don't they don't tow you through the canal their job is to hold the boat in suspension between the walls of the locks and so that they, they basically tie off to the ship and then take up every bit of slack so it's virtually impossible for the ship to move laterally and and then and then the ship maneuvers through the under well, it goes up and down through. pretty fast yeah. Pardon me. Goes up and down. What? What's the depth? I I I went through the lock to Lake Michigan from the river, which is like a foot and a half or two, three in a bad day. But then I went to one on the Illinois River, and they're like a couple of hundred feet. You're way down there, and you're going, "Holy bleep!" I mean, if this, I mean, you're way in the bottom, and all of a sudden you go flying up a couple hundred feet. I mean, how how, how many feet are we talking about one of these locks? Um, the the locks on the Atlantic side, there are three of them, and you're raised. Probably ten to fifteen feet each. Oh, that's each, uh, not like the Illinois River, where it's hundred and summer. It's 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 a lot of feetage. Yeah, I mean, and 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 I think the we we were drafting at thirty five feet, and I think we had ten feet of clearance underneath us for uh, for the depth. But, so you're only, but, you're only up. You're not. You're not. It's not one of these where they're raising you know, like uh, you know fifty yards or anything. Oh no. No, no, no. It's stepped. It's stepped, and so you go up. You go up, maybe you know, ten, fifteen feet in each in each lock, and it's it's uh, it's a very it's a very slow process. Um, I think I think a transit of the canal takes uh, typically about eight hours. Um, so we went in one side, and we went into the we went into the lake uh, that um, you know they created to to basically supply the the locks with water. Um, sailed around the lake a little bit, and then uh, and then turned around and uh, and came back out. Oh, so you didn't go through the Pacific? You came out. You ended up yeah. back in the Atlantic. Okay. Yeah, we 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 just we just did an interior circuit, but um, 
the the couple of interesting other interesting things as you so we we were uh, we spent a day in Cologne uh, in the, in Panama and then oh, which is on the Atlantic side the town on the Atlantic side Panama City is on the Pacific side but we spent a day in Cologne and then and then we sailed from Cologne which is you know maybe I don't know what maybe two or three miles straight line distance to the entrance for the canal and and so it we were doing that at night or in the early morning hours as we're moving and you could just see you know lights to the across the horizon of boats that were anchored there waiting to get through the canal so the average wait if you didn't have a reservation and, and of course the cruise ships all have reservations even, even to go in and come they, back even to go in and come back out which is kind of weird yeah yeah the cruise ships all have reservations because because they um, they know when they're going to be there, the the container ships and the, the transports are frequently you know they're delayed for one thing or another. It's very hard for them to put a reservation down. So um, the, the the cruise ships all had reservations, and and the cruise ships are charged per passenger bed. They're not charged on on tonnage, so they pay a premium. And, and they get a reservation. Um, the ship's captain said that, uh, the, as I said, with a wait of about 20 to 21 days, the ship's captain said that there was starting to be a growing market of uh, uh, auctions for spots, for boats that, you know, they, they'd line up. You, you line up and get, get in line and, uh, you know, Boats start boats start bidding to trade places and swap places in the in the line. So that that's going on there, as you might expect. Um, the water level in the lake had dropped to below 80 feet, but by the time we got there, it had been raining pretty steadily for a couple of days, and the level of the lake had risen a couple of feet. So it was not at a, it was not at an all time low, but they they are going to start restricting uh, if they don't if they don't get a change already have the they already have, already have well no they're going to i mean restricting even more than they have they're going to start restricting even more than they have they were uh, down the about number 20%. Of boats going through there cutting it from 30 something a day to yeah. down to maybe as little as 15 a day and and that that's a that's a big deal the, the canal generates something like 6% of the of the gdp for panama what uh, if you decide the hell with it! You're going around Africa. I mean, uh, <clears throat> around the bottom for a container ship. What is that? Like a week? Um, or more? I, oh no! I think it's. I think it's much more. You mean to get? You mean to go from the Atlantic side of the United States to the Pacific side? Yeah. Uh, yeah, or the Pacific to the Atlantic, which is the is the main is the main way. Yeah, that's a that's adds like I think I think almost a month of sailing. I read somewhere that the uh, if an aircraft carrier strike group wants to go through, they just say the hell with it and run the aircraft carrier around the bottom and the rest of the ships go through the canal or something like that. I mean, that that's that's possible. You know, the carriers can go above 30 knots. A, a container ship isn't, isn't making anywhere near that speed. Um, yeah, so, so a couple of things are happening. Um, there's a there's a rail line supposedly being constructed across Mexico that that will allow container ships to offload in I don't know Puerto Vallarta or someplace like that, and and then and then just 
put the put the cargo on rail lines and and across the across the isthmus and uh, I can't imagine I can't imagine one of those things holds how many thousand containers. Oh, I know, I know, but it's going to be it's going to be a, a major rail hub. I mean, we're not talking we're not talking about a single track. We're we're, we're talking about you know multiple lines and and all that and and major you know major railroad investments, which ought to warm the cockles of your heart, Chief, to talk about that. Yeah, except, uh, well, that's a... Uh, so, as much so as I like to think about rail, comparing rail to water is not, <laughs> it's not much yeah. comparison there. Oh, I know, I know. But, but uh, and, and the other thing I was thinking about, obviously, because of the way my mind works, you know, I was looking at this, at this process, and I, I just thought, you know, if, if I'm, if we get into a war with, with China, you know, the first thing that's going to happen is some, some, tramp freighter is going to be going through the canal and it'll just blow up there or sink there and and just shut the shut the whole thing down um and and i'm it would not it would not be hard to do um so so it's a fascinating it's a fascinating piece of engineering the story obviously of how it was built is is a epic tale of of just determination and and national will um i I mean we we practically engineered a revolution down there to to get the rights to uh to to build the to build the canal um and and just a very you know for 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 what essentially is a piece of 19th century engineering it it's remarkable well i mean those guys uh you can't beat up on those guys too much. I mean, they got people the Apollo and back or the moon and back with a slide roll. I mean, it's not like these people weren't smart. Oh no, and 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 I mean, obviously using base, you know, very just brute force, muscle power, and and you know, steam technology. They they cut through you know the the rock and the dirt and the mosquitoes and the and the yellow fever and and everything else and you know fixed fixed one problem after another they did we did go briefly to the uh point where the french had been digging and and you know there's a there's a separate canal channel that they that they started because they were they were focused on trying to do a sea level canal which makes a lot of sense they were trying to they were trying to dig it the way it had been it had been done in this they they looked at the Suez Canal which had been been completed uh, uh, a decade or something earlier than than when they began digging in earnest on the Panama Canal and and thought okay this is the way to do it but but I mean that's just a it's just a huge issue and and you know the U.S. engineers came in after that project had been abandoned and um, actually. The French company that was in charge of it went bankrupt. I think we ended up financially bailing out the, you know, buying out the French. So there's some very, very quick-witted and uh, slippery uh, French uh, diplomatic negotiations going on there to get to get the equipment, but and 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 drawn what they had done there but in any event we we came in basically refinanced the french company got them out of there and then our our people started started working on them um, um the the interesting the the dude what was his name well just as a way how exact some of these 
old non non bright guys were. You know, the, you're familiar from Colorado, the Moffat Tunnel. Yes, I think they they dug that from both ends toward the middle. Now there was no GPS, there was nothing. They did it by dead reckoning, and I think when they met in the middle, they were like an eighth of an inch off or something, <clears throat> something ridiculously small. Oh yeah. Well, so so another part of this trip was going into some fairly, you know, going fairly far into parts of Central America and um, going to some of the old Mayan uh, temples and and looking at a culture that was, you know, Stone Age, effectively, but which had um, a calendaring system that very accurately tracked, you know, movements of the planets, movements of the moon and the sun. Um, you know, they, they didn't have a wheel because the circle was, according to our docent, the circle was sacred to them, and so they didn't they didn't utilize a circle in any kind of construction or or um, you know use in mechanisms unless it was some kind of, of specific religious. Uh, religious ceremony or a religious purpose but but you know this was a this was a culture that that not only was able to engineer these gigantic you know pyramids and temples that um were were constructed so accurately that the sun you know much like stonehenge the sun would appear in a in a particular cutout spot precisely on the solstice uh, or precisely on the equinox, and and so they were they were well aware of time and and you know astronomical movement. They were, you know, they they were well aware of the recurring nature of of certain events, astro astrological and astronomical events. Um, they they formed their lives around them. They they uh, managed water. Uh, particularly well. I mean, we, we were on the interior in Belize at a, um, a, a, a huge temple complex and, um, you know, all, all cut basically out of the, out of the jungle and, and set up with mathematical precision using, you know, and they didn't, they didn't have lasers to level or anything like that. They were they were using you know basically string and bobs they figured to, to lay out and, and measure the uh, measure the layout of the grounds and um, you know they weren't they weren't guessing when they when they began stacking these these temple pyramids together and, and putting you know putting this stuff in and and we lose we lose track of you know the fact that, that this kind of a civilization was in in many respects the the equal uh, in terms of their of their understanding of, of the world the equal of what was happening in the old world it just this was happening you know all of this was happening uh, roughly the same time I mean the so you had the the Incas the Mayans and the Aztecs the Mayans were the Mayans were probably the the oldest and they were operating the city that we were walking around in had been had been constructed in, in about 1500 BC so roughly the same time that the Egyptians and the Babylonians were 
were doing their thing in uh, in the Fertile Triangle. Just 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 astounding to me. I did not I did not know very much about that history, and it was it was astounding to me to. Do they have a a clue of where the where these people came from? Um, well, the uh, you know they all they all come out of what is referred to as the Clovis culture. The the original the original uh, people who walked across that land bridge from Siberia. And then, and then, apparently, fairly rapidly, moved probably because it was so freaking cold, moved from Alaska, what's now Alaska and the Yukon uh, area, down into North America, and then, and then down across, uh, you know, Mexico, Central America, and then, and then into, into South. Yeah, America. I don't, I don't, I don't get the part why you would, once you got to Mexico, it was hot enough, why you would keep. That walk across Central America or down Central America is horrendous. Why? I'm wondering uh, I, why people would do I, that. I mean, I mean, that's that's what that's what I find that's what I find so interesting. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't like they had a huge population density. You know, they could have they could have spread out, but but I I, I just I think as as you know, people migrated. They migrated to to get away from other tribes. They migrated to get away from. Um, other cultures that were threatening to them. Uh, they looked for, they were always looking for greener pastures. But there's, there's nothing that advanced, well, I've actually read some stuff recently, nothing really that advanced, I'll take a, a hit here, but North American Indian culture like that. No, no, that's what's so, that's what's so interesting. So, so these guys, <clears throat> these guys did not, the, the North American the only place you see comparable North American Indian cultures is in the Anasazi culture in the southwest United States that built the cliff dwellings. And, and the, the basis for that, Chief, was agriculture. Once they established an agricultural uh, sort of identity, they were able to... Well, that's when you needed a town. That's right. Well, they were able to yeah. put down roots and, and you were able to establish, you know, a more intellectual pursuit rather than just chasing buffalo all over the place. Were um, were there domesticated animals in Peru? There must have been. Yes. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, there were some domesticated animals, although of course they didn't have horses. Um, They, they, most of the stuff that was constructed according to our docents was what they believe was made with, with human labor. And of course, you know, the, the, some of these, these, these cultures were their religious uh, rites and ceremonies were particularly vicious. Oh no, the uh, people here didn't have chickens and cows. That's what, that's what I was talking no, about. That's so, right. I mean, that, that's, that's the right. reason why you would stay in one spot. And if you stay, if you got a whole bunch of people staying in one spot, that's when you need laws and order and things like that. Right. Well, and but 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 the Mayans, the Mayans, and the Incas and the Aztecs had that. Um, they 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 had all that. The the Mayans. The Mayans had a very well-developed agricultural and... and but there's no... We have to dash for break. There is no thought that evolution came from anywhere. There wasn't a second spot other than Africa, I don't think. They still think everything started in Africa and everything came out of there in various thousands of uh, years. That's actually changing. There, There is there is now some, some indication that at least a, a, a fairly significant cultural... Outgrowth was occurring in the Neanderthal culture in in uh, Europe, and and so 
yeah i mean we we think we think initially maybe um you know homo habilis and all that was was the early hominids came out of came out of east africa but um there there there's some other evidence now that maybe maybe a comparable line of of people was evolving in for example china well the neanderthals lived with homo sapiens for quite a while i mean uh, yes right matter of fact remember our, our buddy robert he took one of those national graph, geographic tests and he came back i guess the normal person is uh um you know half a percent neanderthal or up to one percent or something because there was there was interbreeding i mean it, Oh, yeah. those the interval girls were hot out here uh, but anyway the uh and the, the further up in Europe you go the higher your your percentage is he's like two or something <laughs> in Germanic and Irish I think red hair I think is in the interval very deep set eyes I think o type old blood is there's a great uh there's a great science fiction book by uh the guy that uh, Morgan who uh I can't remember his first name um but but it's called thirteen, and it it's about a selective breeding process that that pulls out and identifies people with a high percentage of Neanderthal genes and breeds for that. So really, that they end up yeah yeah. The idea was they were going to end up they were breeded males were becoming less less manly, you know, a lower testosterone and all this. And so the idea was that you you breed these Neanderthal types uh, and you end up with a much more... Uh, a lot of, Ir- of Irish-German couples, I think, you'd end up with. <laughs> God. Well, but the weird part was the the, the first group... We've got to go to break here. And we got to talk about Henry Kissinger. Uh, yep. we got to... The first group, groups... I was reading this because I said Robert went and got... Most people go get their... Uh, Genealogy, the DNA test, it tells you whether you're Polish or Jewish and all that stuff. Well, he, he did the National Geographic one where it tells you what group you are out of Africa. What and evidently the first groups shot up Eastern Europe to the north and then crossed over. They they really didn't make a left turn on the other side of the Mediterranean where it was nice and warm. That group, those groups came later, I think. Which is kind of um, so that's why I, that's why I'm the not first up to speed on all that. I, there's there's been a there's been a substantial revision in terms of of how man developed. Uh, it, it's it's much less Afro centered. Right, but, but I'm saying the the, the um, even the Neanderthals might have come out of Africa. But the, my point was the the first groups out were the groups that went to Northern Europe, and that's where the Neanderthals were still living. What your, was what was your point? Yes. So that's where and, the interbreeding came yeah. from. And 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 I think and the Clovis the Clovis uh, tribe or whatever that that group was that that crossed the land bridge. Um, my understanding is that that age estimate for when they actually got into down into North America has been sub, substantially revised as well. We think they were here now much earlier. So than with the Interthals, they couldn't originally. have. Last last statement here before we go. The the Interthals couldn't have been a different species, right? Because no. if if no, you, they 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 would have come out of the same. They would have come out of the same earlier roots. Because I mean, if if you have a different species, like a horse and a mule, uh, or a horse and a, a donkey, you can you can have a mule, but the mules are sterile, right? Yeah, they don't they don't reproduce properly. But obviously, the whoever was the guy or the girl back then, their kids were able to reproduce. It appears. Yeah, well, and of course, there's there's a whole line of there's a whole line of 
of genetic science now that says that at some point, maybe 200,000 years ago, the human race was down to less than 100 breeding couples. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That whole that whole biblical thing about Adam and Eve maybe maybe a lot more accurate than we thought. Um, I, I read somewhere that for whatever reason you, you, you can trace female ancestry better than males. I, I, you can't... I, have I think no that's right. They traced female ancestry all around the world and think that they actually can trace it back to one person. That there actually was an Eve. Now, well, whether well, it's in the, the Bible this, or whatever, but... but yeah, this, this, um, this, this genetic research, uh, this, this was during an ice age, and, and mankind was being driven, you know, driven into very, very isolated places and conditions and and at some point they i mean i read one one article i read indicated that it may have been it may have been as few as 20 breeding female wow. females and breeding couples but but certainly less than certainly less than 100 and um you read that and you go oh so maybe there is some kind of crazy oral or genetic history that that reaches all the way back and identified that period of time, and that's a, that's the nature of the origin story. I or you could think we get seeded by elsewhere. That could be too. SP Futures up 13. SP Futures up 48. We're trying again. Be right back. Stocks and Jocks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Welcome back, Stocks Jacks. Jacks. I'm Tamal. Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures up 1350. SA Futures up 51. We were a lot higher than this yesterday, and then all of a sudden, after Fed speak, we went the other way. Now, now Lou and Greg's uh, big, big, uh, uh, big hero, Elon Musk, claims advertisers are trying to blackmail, blackmail him, and says, "Go f yourself." I don't know if you guys saw that. I was going to do that sound clip. Yeah, oh, you're going to do that. Okay. But, but it's got the F word in it. So. Oh, that's, well, you know. You can, can't, you, can't you bleep? You can't bleep? Anyway, over, let's just get through this and get a little back. Over in Europe, we've got DAX up 72.4%, FTSE up 48.6%, CAC around up 38.5%. Uh, over in Asia, uh, Nikkei up 165.5%, Hang Seng crept back up 49 points over 17,000, 17,042. Shanghai up 8.3029. These both of these markets are, are kind of staggering over there. Uh, Hank saying more. Yesterday we ended up uh, 13 in the Dow, down four in the S&P, Nasdaq down 23. And I'm saying we were up 
130 in the S&P, and we were up 100 and some in the NASDAQ. So it was a pretty reasonable turnaround, but we're trying it again today. Uh, Ten-year up two basis points, 4.29. The bond up one basis point, 2.43. Japan unchanged at 0.67. Oil up 63 cents, 78.49, trying to make it back to 80. We'll see if it does. Uh, Brent up 77 cents, 83.87. Natural gas up 4 cents, 284. Arbob up a penny, 229. We've got gold, which has been on a tear, but it's down 8 bucks today uh, to 2039. Silver down 6 cents, 25. It was 25 even, but still at 25. Copper unchanged, 378. Bitcoin uh, up 124, 37,843. The dollar is actually up a little bit today. It's probably why you didn't see gold down. The euro is down to 109. Uh, British pound down to 126. That's the first move down in the, or up in the dollar in a while. Great video for us, Traffic Weather Sports. Good morning, everyone. 6.38 a.m. here in Chicago. 36 degrees right now. 51 today with some uh, slight breeze and fog. Phoenix, 53 degrees right now, 66 today, mostly cloudy there. Traffic, inbound Kennedy, Montrose to the interchange, 23 minutes. Inbound Edens, from Lake Cook is 43 minutes. Um, Eisenhower from Wolf, 25 minutes. Ryan from 95th to the interchange, 19 minutes. And the inbound Stevenson from 294 to the Ryan is 30 minutes. NHL Blackhawks beat the Kraken last night at home, that was 4-3. Coyotes beat the Lightning How at home. How bad are the Kraken? Pretty bad. <laughs> Coyotes beat uh, the Lightning at home. That was 3-1. to one. NBA, let's see. The Suns lose to the Raptors. That was 105-112. to 112. And Tonight we got the Bulls playing the Bucks. That's at the United Center. And on Prime, Seattle at Cowboys tonight. Dallas is 9.5 point favorites. So I got Chief. I don't have Prime, so there's no game for me. No soup for you. No, no soup for me. So Lou, uh... Kind of a giant, Henry Kissinger at 100. Uh. Yeah, I I uh, was thinking back to um, when he was the Secretary of State. You know, do you remember the movie Failsafe? Yeah. Okay, so there's a character in the movie Failsafe played by, I believe it's Walter Matthau, who, who plays a Jewish... I don't think it's... I think it's referred to necessarily as Jewish, but I think that that's clearly the role. A Jewish college professor national security expert who um you know basically talks about nuclear war and body counts and mega deaths and things like that and is is very attractive to women um it, this is in the book and i think in the movie but henry was pretty that, popular with the ladies that was i think that was modeled on on henry kissinger he he became he became well known i think in the late 50s early 60s as a as a nuclear war strategist i mean that's what he talked about he he of course was a refugee from from germany escaped nazi germany in in, in 38 um but he, he got his he got his you know his initial mark as a guy who was was talking about limited nuclear war and how how you could go to nuclear he was doing this as what a professor yeah yeah, he was a Harvard guy. He was a okay. he, he, brilliant at Harvard. I mean, he was he was he flourished in academia. But you know, he he transferred he transferred that those skills that he that he had as tremendous personal you know tenacity and intellectual creativity transferred that directly to work on the to work on the government and and you know, he became a national security kind of kind of consultant. But he was one of those guys. I, I, he was a I always considered him. Uh, very much a student of Metternich and uh, and, and the you know the, the, the revolutions of what was it 
1838, where um, he was one of those guys that that looked at what you know what was possible and what you had to you know had to do in a in a real world sense. He was not an idealist. He was a he was a realist and and frequently you know acknowledged that his his role was basically trying to you know make make the best of a, of a series of, of bad or difficult choices um, he he didn't have any he didn't have any qualms about you know abandoning allies when it when it served a, a diplomatic purpose I mean he he set our relations back with India because he needed to go he wanted to, to uh, make nice with Pakistan because Pakistan was the route to China and and he looked at he was always thinking in terms of kind of a grand a grand strategy and and you know he had that he had that fantastic run in the 70s that that basically laid the foundation for the for the post-war world he he opened up china with with nixon was, was he the, the major domo where we dump taiwan and, and put china in the u.n was that uh him? yes he he opened because he he said you know China's going to be now now the final the final stab in the back for 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 Taiwan came under Carter, but that was that was a follow-on to Kissinger's to Kissinger's uh, initial diplomacy. He opens up China, establishes diplomatic relations there. He ends the Vietnam War, uh, negotiating with uh, with Lee Dok To and, and and gets that done, and then. Lays the foundation. Well, how did the, the, how did the Vietnam well, War? Lays, lays the foundation for the Israeli Egypt peace accords that also came in finally under under Carter when he not when he negotiated the uh, the end of the war in seventy three. I mean, you, you can make there's a great discussion going on right now about about Israel and how the United States and the West always stops Israel from winning, and and the the first major example of that. Is is the seventy three war because the Israelis were set to take Cairo, and we stopped them. Well, they got a lot of their stuff from us. So when that happens, you you sort of get to call it to a little well, bit. Well, but I mean, I mean, you know, why why would we why would we stop them? The reason we stopped them is because the Russians had the Soviets had said, you know, we're not we're not going to let let Cairo fall. We're not going to let our allies fall to these guys. Uh, for one thing, we hate Jews. You know we're we're Russians, and uh, we uh, we hate Jews, and and we don't want the we don't want the Jewish state to succeed. For another, they're your proxy, they're U.S. proxy, so we don't want to see them to we don't want to see them succeed. So we will we will move our forces directly into contact with the Israelis if if they continue to advance on Cairo. Well, if the, if the if the Vietnam War thing, I was just reading that last night. Was so well negotiated. How did the 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 the, the people getting out of there was worse than uh, Afghanistan? It was a bleep show leaving Saigon. Uh, but but we left. Kissinger's job. Kissinger's job was to get us out. <clears throat> it was a quagmire. We did not have the we did not have the will to to prevail there, comparable to the will of. Well, of we, the bo- North we, we booted we booted the guy out who was our ally. Way and when Kennedy was still alive, why did we well, do that? We 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 killed him. Yeah, well, that's, well we, we booted him out. We booted him out for sure. Yeah, we arranged for him to be assassinated. Um, yeah, so so Kissinger Kissinger 
recognized that by the time Nixon came in, Kissinger's job was to get us out of there. And he did. You know, he negotiated he negotiated an end that allowed us to extricate ourselves and and it it ultimately, you know, it ultimately the, the whole Vietnamization process was was part of his overall strategy and and in his mind and I, I I don't think this is I don't think this is incorrect. These things were all connected. Get out of Vietnam. Uh, open open up the door to China, which getting out of Vietnam allowed us to do, and and, and reducing our footprint in in Southeast Asia allowed us to do, and and negotiate some kind of of meaningful stability in the in the Middle East, at least in the short term. But he he was was he salt one and salt two. Um, I don't think well, so. I mean, he was involved. I mean, that was part of his, that was part of his overall strategy in dealing with the Soviets. But uh, no, that that happened under Ford. I don't think he was. I don't think he was the sex state then. What What was the? Uh, this is a, I don't expect you to know this off the top. Although you surprise me. Uh, on, let's put it this way: on the show, we 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 left China after the war with George Marshall over there after. Uh, before the Marshall Plan, when Morgenthau or whoever was screwing the thing up in Europe, they said, first thing happened, this is kind of an interesting story, uh, George Marshall basically got in his car and drove home after the war was over. And when he was pulling up the driveway, the phone was ringing, it was Truman, saying, you got to come back, i got to send you to China. So, unbeknownst, I mean, mo- most people, if you think about George Marshall, you think about the war and you think about the Marshall Plan. Well, in the middle, there was six months, a year, some period of time, Rena's wife went to China to try and negotiate peace between Chiang Kai-shek and Mao Zedong, which evidently was an absolute goat bleep. Those two guys... Well, it, they, it, they, yeah, they, because, they, because Chiang Kai-shek... So, so the, one of the great failures of George Marshall, and, and strategically it may, it may prove to be even more important than his success in Europe, but one of the great failures of George Marshall was his failure to acknowledge Joseph Stilwell. And and Stillwell's role in assessment of what was happening in China. Well, and if you want to, there's a great there's a great book on it, uh, Joseph Stillwell and the American Adventure in China, and it's it's about forty years old, I think, but it's it's a really interesting assessment, and I think it's only proven to be more more accurate. But he but he ended up but trying yeah, to Chiang go. Kai-shek, to... Chiang Kai Shek was a Chiang Kai Shek was a nightmare. Yeah, and he said Mao wasn't much better, so he well, he, he and his wife yeah. would travel from place to place. Finally, he, he called, I think Truman was still in office. He, he got a message to him and said, you got to get me out of here. These guys are never going to agree on anything. They don't care how many people die. <laughs> they're, 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 they're lunatics, both of them. Well, no, because, I mean, I mean, the issue, the, the, the problem was that, or at least part of the problem, was that Chiang Kai-shek had a completely irrational view of his status in the United States in, in, great, in great part. Manip- his 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 status was manipulated by his wife, who played the American media like an ocarina. Um, he he had a, a completely erroneous picture of the capability of his of his armed forces. He believed that we would back him to the to the hilt, um, and and he com- completely uh, misunderstood the the power and the the draw. That Mao and the people that surrounded him had, and their their ruthlessness. But, but Mao was no box of chocolates either. He was but oh no 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 no. I'm not saying yeah. I'm not saying these were good people. I'm just saying they they 
Shek, Chiang Kai-shek totally underestimated what, what was... But he could have been more corrupt than Mao. He probably was. Yeah, exactly. He totally underestimated what, what the, the, the balance of power was there and, and totally misplayed his hand. And, well, and we, I guess what I'm saying, that we sort of left off there, him coming back here, Chiang Kai-shek heading to Taiwan, which was what, foremost at the time. Mao yep. takes over the place. Now, what happened... Now, it must have been like the dead zone before... Kissinger started talking to anybody. It's how many years are we talking about? We're talking twenty years, twenty-two years, or something before. Mm-hmm. When, so, what was the relationship with China like in nineteen fifty-eight? I mean, do we even do anything with? Oh, them? it was it was a it was a disaster. We were we were not talking to them. We viewed them with great suspicion, which, um, which we should have. Mao was not exactly we, a, we, somebody we, to deal they with. They had they had engaged in some horrific conduct with our prisoners during the Korean War. Um, Mao in 58 or 59 pushes the Great Leap Forward, which which ends up killing something like a hundred million of his people. Oh yeah, yeah, starving them to death. Was was um, that the uh, what was his, what was the other one he did? Where it was the well the Cultural Revolution? Cultural Revolution. Pushed, yeah, which he pushes in 64, 65, and 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 further sets back China. Um, yeah, they were they were an, an isolated, you know. Her, the hermit kingdom they were an isolated but he was uh, he was firmly in charge during the korean war right yes so he was the guy fighting against us basically had been back in north korea yes they they viewed they viewed uh macarthur's efforts as as very aggressive and very dangerous to them they thought wrongly but they thought that macarthur's push and and cutting through north korea the way he was doing was likely to was likely to result in the U.S. forces crossing the Yalu, and in fact, our aircraft were crossing the Yalu at certain points, and and creating you know creating an opportunity for an invasion of China, and they weren't they they, they were going to stop that before it before it got well, we to could us. Never plus, been, I didn't realize really MacArthur, MacArthur I got one of these core digest things the other day. I talked about some of those decorated world, uh, Civil War generals that did stuff afterward. MacArthur's dad was a Civil War general. I didn't know that. I think he was a Medal of Honor winner. Yeah, yeah, yep. At like at like four of the biggest battles, he was you know he was a general. Well, you're you know you're talking you're talking to a guy who is one degree of separation from Douglas MacArthur. Really? I interviewed I interviewed Omar Bradley in 1977. I sat down with him for three hours and and talked to him and in the same. The same week, talked to Jimmy Doolittle, General Doolittle. Wow! I sat down with Omar Bradley for three hours, and and had a chance to talk to him about about the World War uh, World War Two and and Korea and MacArthur and Patton and a number of other points. Um, and uh, yeah, it, he 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 told me that MacArthur was the smartest the smartest person he'd ever met, but but. You know, so smart that he really didn't have a good understanding of where he wasn't smart, and uh, and that was that was part of his downfall. Well, he was really he was the uh, he was the guy who would check his his looks in the mirror all the time. What they call it was a metrosexual now, right? <laughs> well, he was yeah he was a raving a raving egomaniac. But you know, after you got to remember that guys, you know, pe- people always talk about someone who thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. MacArthur almost always, uh, almost always, 
was the smartest guy in the room. And when your life has been spent being the smartest guy in the room almost all the time, you you tend to develop a certain blind spots about where you're not the smartest guy in the room. And and you know that I'm sure that was reinforced with I'm sure that was reinforced with him. How do, how do people that are I mean, I'm supposed to be reasonably smart, not like, and certainly not like him or anything like that. I was probably not like you, but the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. It's it's a That's humbling right. thing. Well, that and 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 you know, hubris. Of course, the Greeks the Greeks talk about hubris being the great the great flaw of even the the most brilliant and and charismatic of people, and that that was MacArthur. Now, he, you know, after Truman fired him, he he kind of reassessed. And um, his his speech at West Point was generally considered to be, you know, where he said, "Old soldiers never die; they just fade away." He he that speech at West Point was generally considered to be his acknowledgement that he had made major mistakes in in terms of the way he had interacted with with the political leadership, and um, and so I, yeah, if if you. Um, well, he was he was read, old, he was older than Bradley and those guys, wasn't he? Oh yeah. If you read, uh, well, yeah, and he and he had, you know, he had already done a fantastic job in Japan. He had he had basically taken that whole samurai and emperor worship and just cut the legs out from under it, and turned what was a rampaging, you know, dictatorship. Uh, he, he did uh, probably as good a job in Japan as Marshall did in Europe. Oh, I think he did a better job. Because because the culture the culture clash was so dramatic. Right, but he didn't have. Uh, we had way back before he, before you were on the show, Luke, God, a long time ago. We had a, a lady who actually was like eighteen or nineteen, and she was part of the Marshall. But she said you'd go into these towns. Every one of them was rioting, and it says it's not just like two years later everything was okay. So there was no food, there was no water. People were fighting each other in the streets. It was every town was a disaster. I don't think J- yeah. Japan Japan behavior ever ever dropped to the ground like that. Oh, oh, the Japanese, but 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 chief, it was a completely foreign culture. Oh, well, that that nothing, part, yeah. Nothing we knew about about how to govern or how to, you know, what the, you know, democratic forces or anything like that had any foothold. There was at least a foothold for that in in Germany and and in Eastern Europe. Uh, Did you ever Eastern read any Europe. of a? Uh, of uh, Eric Lostbetter stuff, Ninja, White Ninja, and that stuff. Yeah. Well, wasn't essentially his his father was a colonel working for MacArthur, correct? Over in the. I think I think, I think that's right. Yeah. And uh, and and it was a whole thing about him, and he took over a lot of the stuff where he knew everybody and everybody relied on him, and he was a MacArthur clone because he had a whole bunch of people doing that stuff. We were there for a long time, so yeah. we don't have much time. But one, quick question. When, but but anyway, Kissinger Kissinger's. To, to me, Kissinger was a. You, know, you refer to him as real politic, but that's that's the Metternichian, uh, the Metternichian worldview, and I, I think that's right, and I think he was right to do so, and he gets criticized now, but but you know he's he's. Everybody gets criticized in that's right. today's world. That's right. So so here's here's a great here's a great line from his one of his books in 1957. He says, statesmen tend to have a tragic quality. And then here's the quote. It is in the nature of successful policies that posterity forgets how easily things might have been otherwise. The statesman is therefore like one of the heroes in a classical drama who has had a vision of the future but cannot transmit it directly to his fellow men. 
Well, it's, I think that's absolutely accurate. What? Uh, well, I mean, every time every time there's a battle of any kind, all you have to do if you read about it like you do, and I'm trying to, I mean, you, get, you look at it and go, man, this could easily have gone the other way. <laughs> Jeez, that's right. You know, it's like man, it's like a football game. You know, I mean, it's it's a lot like sports. What's the if, what's you know, the comment? And I think it's I think it's Sherman or Grant. A close run thing. Oh. So many of so many of these pivotal these pivotal fights were a close run thing. Gettysburg, for example. But you but the idea that in the in the end, um, I have a serious question about China with him. Uh, in in the end, you look at even if the Confederates would have done a better job at Gettysburg or something or something. If you look at what's happening to the money supply, the economy, who's creating more shells, more of this, more of that, it just would have been another three months or six months. You know, people say that, and yet the it, I think it was just as likely that had there been a major defeat inflicted upon Lincoln, you would have you would have seen him lose that next election, and and the the subsequent the successor president would have sued for peace, would have allowed the Confederate states to exist, and would have stopped the war. Um, that. That that's very that's very possible, but I'm saying, in terms of the logistics, it's like if if, if oh yeah, you know, no, no. If, if, if Normandy not, would not if Normandy not would talking, not have worked, we're not it, talking about we're not talking about a, 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 you know that retrospective. We're talking about what people thought at the time, and at the time, people were tired. Oh, without they were a doubt, tired of the fighting. They were horrified of the casualties, and and the will, the political will to fight. I mean that that's what that's what Ho Chi Minh and Jap. And those people relied on in 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 Vietnam. They relied on sapping the will of the American the American political establishment to continue. Well, I mean, and how many how many people will. how many people from Illinois who never saw a slave, never were south, never anywhere? How many people in your neighborhood do you give up to some war before you say let let the assholes go? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, my yeah. quick question though, regarding uh, Kissinger, if we run over a minute, well, I guess we have to. Um, did he have the same view of the economic slash political world as the economists like Milton Friedman and those? I mean, did he did he think that if he opened up the economy of us to Mao, who was still there when he was doing all this stuff, if he if he did all that, did he think China would eventually, on its own, turn into a more of a, a democratic sort of U.S. sort of Western sort of place? As people picked up on economic freedom, did he think that would lead to something like the economics, or he just he didn't know, or he he didn't? You I, know. I think I think I don't think he viewed it quite the same way, but I think he definitely viewed it as power from a from a political power and military power perspective, and and that cultures that were in continual conflict were were not were never going to be able to to have any kind of rapprochement. And that that there needed to be a a top level political meeting of the minds in in some respects that that diffuses that that headbutting long enough for people to sit down and 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 understand each other's interests. And I think he absolutely he absolutely believed in that. I, I don't know if he he believed in the in the economic evolution that you're talking about, or, or or was a student of it. But he definitely believed that that the key to a safer, less less dangerous world was uh, getting the the senior the senior people to sit down and 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 understand the other side's position 
and seems and like he was way more of a seems like he was way more of a step by step guy. He he was he was, but he believed in the top down, and I mean, in some respects he was right, in other respects he was wrong. I mean, Anwar Sadat was was assassinated because he tried to push a top down change that that his culture didn't didn't want to well, accept. Well, when, when you're at that level, things don't always work. Doesn't mean. As my grandfather used to say, he who tries and fails is better than a guy who never tried at all. Well, that, that's right. I, I agree with you. But, but I mean, I mean, I think, but I think that was in response to your question. I think that was Kissinger's, Kissinger's worldview. And he was, you know, he like the Wall Street Journal refers to refers to the you know second half of the 20th century and, and the first part of this century as, as Kissinger's world. Yeah. All right, Lou. We'll talk more about it next week. But glad to see you're home safe. SPV is up 12, NASDAQ is up 44, a very short break, and then we have Mr. Dan Janitas. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630 401 8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Load Stocks and Jocks. I'm Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures up 12, Nancy Futures up 47. And we have Professor Janitas. I'm here. How are you, buddy? Sorry, we ran over a couple of minutes. We're talking about, uh, uh, you know, a, a lion of the world, Mr. Kissinger. Uh, made it to 100. Yeah. Good genes, too, I guess. Uh, Unbelievable. Yeah, amazing stuff. Hey, uh, how have you been? We, we missed you last week. I missed my Dan fix, but Thanksgiving took priority. Yeah, no, everything is, is good here. And, uh, and um, yeah, one thing that that is good that really, I would say, has a much better town are the financial markets the last few weeks. So... We've we have actually stepped back in, even though you know a month and a half ago, a couple well three months ago, we were talking about lightening up in stocks. We're now talking about adding back um, as much as ten percent um, in equities in your portfolio. So the the environment has changed quite a bit. I think the biggest um, thing we have going for us is that we don't have another Fed hike for a couple weeks. If we do have one, and 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 you know the probability of having another Fed hike is very low. And if it doesn't happen, then we're gonna this uh, rally that we've seen is gonna continue to happen. The other reason, which is sort of the the you know the it's a little bit of a different way of thinking of things, um, but rather than looking at all the reasons the market should go up, let's look at all the reasons the market should go down. And it's really hard to find many. So on the equity side, so so I I think there's a period of time here where you can participate in this momentum as the market goes up. The um, headwinds, if you will, are still there. I mean, we still have um, inflation. However, the the statistics we're seeing is saying that inflation is coming down and we still have 
higher prices. But I think what's happened is that consumers have have um, adopted or adjusted to the new higher prices, and it's become the new norm. So even in the cases where we haven't seen a decline in prices, we have seen a consumer that has adapted or adjusted to those higher prices and has just gotten used to paying them. So overall, I think we're in a good position here. As you know, the market doesn't seem to react to exogenous events when it comes to wars. Um, and, and probably rightly so, because it's not, you know, they can have a net, net um, you know, some positives and some negatives in terms of, of how that impacts the markets. But, but what I'm seeing at least is um, definitely better investor sentiment, certainly strong consumer sentiment. Um, and although there are definitely people who are getting hurt in this environment, the people who have money are not getting hurt. And they're the people we count, they, they care, we care about. Well, we care about everybody, but it's it's you and I do. Fed doesn't. Yeah, but it, but it's just the this is really. I, I I was thinking about the other day. It's 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 sad to think of things this way, but if you go back to pre-COVID, a lot of the people who were having struggles today are the same people who were having struggles before we went through this whole chaotic period. So it's it, you know there there's you know like I said, I think we've just adopted or adjusted to this new this new norm in, in prices. I, I and don't... the price the price. Price stability is something that was one of the goals of the Federal Reserve, and I think at least what we're seeing is some, um, you know, some rewards from that, or some some positive, um, you know, positive result, if you will. It's it's obviously too soon to speak, but at least we're moving in the direction of price stability. Um, I uh, if this was a, a three three level chessboard. On the middle chessboard, I'm with you 100%. I don't. Matter of fact, I've gotten longer than I have for my people in a while. I I believe the Fed has totally uh, abandoned any any sort of price level concerns. They may be a little bit concerned about inflation going forward, but they're going to be very happy to have it four or five percent and lie to you and tell you it's two percent, like they have been for 20 years. Right. And they're they're willing to go back to do that because in their mind. It'll just continue to pump these asset prices up relentlessly for people. And yet other people, when you say they've adjusted, I think they haven't adjusted at all. Man. Because I don't think, I think people have not, when I say you're not going to know that you got to pay 70 grand for a new pickup truck until yours goes under, until yours goes out. You don't, it's not something you think about all day long. You know, you you don't realize that the next roof is going to cost you fifty percent more than the one ten years ago, or hundred percent more, until it happens, until you end yeah, up in the emergency room, until you end up with a one night hospital bill of twelve grand or some number. Until it happens, you, you have no idea of how much this stuff has run by you as a regular person. That that's an ex those that's those are excellent points. That's a very that that's an excellent point, and I'm even seeing that like in you know personally, I'm seeing some of that. Uh, close friend who who had just you know he, he had leased a, a jeep and he went to get a new one and he had sticker shock and he ended up with a car that he hates now yeah. so yeah i mean i do agree I, the substitution theory if you will is not necessarily giving you what you had before and that does have an impact um you know the, there's uh you know i know even even for me personally i don't i'm not eating as much steak for example as as i had in the past and i still have hear my mother's voice saying you need to have it at least once a week 
because there are certain nutrients that you get in steak that you don't get in other any other meats. Um, you know that give you energy and and you know are good good for your red blood cell count and all that. So so this I totally agree with you. And the substitution theory doesn't work. I mean it 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 when you get down to the to the individual level and you get that sticker shock or you have you know in, in the case of us of me having or my, me and my neighbors having to do the reconstruction of our homes you know you're looking at what you're paying for a new roof or or what you what you're just paying for contractors in general and it's been a while since we've had to go through this with hurricanes and there's a heat you know there's definitely sticker shock so there's you you're right where people are it's it's evolving and and as people start experiencing these things like the low hospital visit or or the new car they're they're realizing this and what happens in economics is you have the substitution theory and that is looking for another another item to fill the fill the spot i do still have faith in the american system that there will still be and what makes america great is that we people will come in and try to provide a better product or a better service at a lower price and that competition i think is what keeps prices here more stable than certainly than any third world country but even than the european countries for example i think we have but then it brings up um, the point of how many industries do we have of, of money that comes out of your pocket every day Right. Or more mine. How many of those industries are remotely competitive? That's a good point. I think that's a very good point. I mean, it's, they, we're just starting to see. Maybe we've been seeing it the last year or two. We're starting to see this quote inflation work its way through your utility bills as these guys have yes. beaten up on their on their representatives, and those those things are never coming down. Um, your your hospital stuff is never coming down because that's now a, a, some sort of a a ridiculous cartel of insurance and hospitals and whatever. I mean, I, I look at this, uh, uh, every everything that we see, Dan, and by the way, I, I love the fact that the market's doing this, plus i gotta, I got to be sure I can't, I can't let you go before I talk about this GDX thing again. Um, but I'm looking, there's an article here in uh, in the, uh, oh, well, it's, I'm CNBC, who the hell wrote it? I'll, I'll put it up here. Uh, Jared Milovich, there's a, uh, there's a radically different wage growth forecast in 2004, says economist, what that means for you. Okay, so they go through these numbers, and it's going to be 2 point, it was 4% in, in uh, 2022, and now it's down, I think it's going to be 3.9 this year, and blah, blah, blah. But basically, here's here's the chart that they're using, uh, and it, this is the one that I think is absolutely a fabrication. They say from quarter one of 2020, which is what I'm always talking about, they look at wage growth, and then, and then they look at the CPI. And they got the CPI maybe a half a percent over wage growth. They got wage growth up 17 and CPI up 18.3. And I'm going to say that's total BS. I think that number is 40. You ever hear this outfit, uh, alternative uh, inflation thing here, where they actually go back, and other than me just guessing from the seat of my ass, uh, these guys actually go shadow government statistics. You ever see these guys? I don't know if I've seen them in particular, but I I I, I know the concept. Well, they, well, they, well, they don't even they don't even uh, take uh, uh, you know my my view, or I'll pick a bunch of stuff and, and, and you know half-ass deal with it. They actually go back to the the way the CPI was calculated in 1990, and the way it was calculated in 1980. And either one of them 
are double what it is today. No matter where you yeah. look, you come out at you come out at this forty percent number. Well, if 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 we admit the people, if if you think the number is thirty five instead of eighteen, your policy is totally different. We, we are zeroed in to accepting policy as if it's been 20, and it's not. You know, I mean, and it's everything you do from there. I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, people, if, 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 if you walk down the street, you're not going to like it. If somebody runs out of a, of a building and slaps you on the ass with a paddle, it happens every single day, I suppose you'll get used to it, but you're still not going to like it. Right, exactly. It's, it's uh no, no question about it. it. It's interesting you're talking, and I and I agree with you on the you know the the package of goods and goods and services seem to be more static. You know, like say when we were starting in the business, there there was, you know, you were using the same goods and services, and today it's shifted dramatically just because of of, of tech becoming you know a much larger portion of of those goods and services, and it's a little hard to to talk about the cost of of say a TV that has come down, but in other other um, ser- goods and services in the technology sector, that where the prices have um, gone down because of, say, the level of competition or because of new technology or or for whatever reason, and so that doesn't, you know, you're 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 looking at statistics that don't necessarily um, aren't aren't appropriate when you're making these judgment calls on on inflation and, and um, price stability. So but we, I, but we beat I do up, agree with you on that. We we beat up and. Uh, gasoline prices, and we say, "Oh man, they've come down or something." Okay, I mean, I'll do the, the math real quick. Uh, thousand miles a month, twenty miles per gallon, fifty gallons of gas. Right, it goes up a buck or down a buck. What's I mean? It, it, I'm, I'm not going to discuss how horrible, but I don't want to pay the extra fifty. But it's not like I'm not going to drive, right? That's nowhere near the same. Is me having a kid in an emergency room and getting a ten thousand dollar bill for right. three tests that, that right. ten years ago was two thousand bucks. Now right. that's on my credit card. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm maxed out on something. I'm paying twenty five percent. The gasoline doesn't snowball on anybody. Plus, you can go in anywhere you want and get chicken breast for two bucks a pound, and you can eat, right? Or <laughs> even though pasta is up to buck fifty from a buck or two bucks, you can eat because you know a pound of pasta goes a long way. It's, it doesn't. It's not even close. to you having to put a roof on for sixty grand that used to be ten? Right. Yeah. Exactly. These are life-changing events, and you can't go through through life <laughs> through statistics for a twenty-year period saying that your hospitalization is seven seven percent of the economy when it's twenty-two. I mean, I mean, it, it, I, I guess I don't. I, I agree with you one hundred percent, Dan. We are nowhere near there yet, and I, I really want to be long between now and the end of the year. I think. The, I think the. The Fed thinks exactly what you just said. We're okay here. If we have a four percent inflation, we'll tell everybody it's two and a half, and everybody's cool with this. It, I, but somehow, someplace, I mean, Greg has been our, our producer, has been helping us out a lot, and a lot of things other than just producing. And he's put some stuff out there, not put some stuff, found it, that the commodity versus equity index is is at like an all time low commodity versus equities. We found one last week where. The top 10 stocks in the S&P 500 are now a higher percentage of the of the market than than they were even in the in the uh, Nifty 50 days, and way higher than in 2000. Someplace, somewhere, and we just saw yesterday uh, who's the the lady from uh, the Las Vegas Sands paid yes, two and a half yes. billion dollars for a for a piece of a basketball team. 
Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I mean, Leah, just I know you're a, uh, a business fundamental guy. If you value that team at five billion dollars, all right, under any stretch, I know we didn't have interest rates for a while, but you and I are from the school would said, okay, wow, the the implied interest on that, let's just say it's six percent, is is three hundred million dollars a year. That team doesn't come close to making yeah. three hundred million. How the hell can anybody other than being able to borrow money at less price than the inflation, how can that possibly be an intelligent investment? And yet every single time they do it, five years later or higher, because of, because of the way the Fed is operating this disaster of an economy, in my opinion. I mean, I, it, go ahead. I'm, yeah, I'm talking to, I, I think. I mean, I think that the thing, the thing where we're definitely in agreement is is the calculation of the statistics that are hopefully going to be. Um, the numbers that 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 allow us to make our the appropriate uh, investment decisions, but I think at this point, just like you, Chief, I think we are paying less attention to those and really trying to pay more attention to some other other factors, other statistics, and also just using our our two eyes to look around and see what's going on in the world and how it's impacting people day to day, as you're saying, because it's you know two thirds of the economy is still the consumer and. You know, you can look at numbers. I was hearing the same numbers. It was I was hearing the same chatter from the same people, the same station, the same you know Bloomberg, for example, um, right around the time of blah. Uh, we lost you here, Dan, for a second. And just Where, wherever you moved in a different part of the room, and we lost. Let, repeat what you just said. We didn't hear it. Oh, I was hearing. Oh, I'm just I'm being told that my internet connection is unstable. <laughs> oh God, I had to read that, Claire. I know I haven't I haven't moved, but but we were hearing places like Bloomberg right around Black Friday at the end of the day, just about how strong it was. It was the strongest in years and years. Well, depending on how they calculate that statistic, somebody else calculated it two days later and said that it's one of the softest it's been in years. So. So I think paying attention to it's the source you pay attention to that makes a difference. Hey, you know what? I and heard a lot that, of these sources. Yeah, do me a favor. I heard I heard both of those numbers. Did you happen to catch what the difference was? I didn't. Why? why the difference why, between the yeah. Why did somebody? Why is somebody saying it's so high and the next guy saying it's so low? I mean, what what are they looking at differently? I, I didn't catch the detail. Did you? Yeah, I didn't catch the detail, but I but I but 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 I, but I, but you don't have to catch the detail. If you are say you just turn you're tuning in and you're finding out oh yeah it's a great season okay and that's what you're hearing then all of a sudden you know if you're an investor you're thinking okay I have that momentum behind me or in front of me so I'll invest but then they may be giving you the true statistics two days later which are based on you know the same basket of goods and services if you will from a few years back or the same the, the same um, vendors or companies from a few years ago and then you're missing out on that second part of the conversation which is ah it actually really wasn't as good it's that you know we've talked about it it's it's those um cal- re- you know those second calculations or the you know the the revised numbers um so i think what 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 i'm saying and i think we're in agreement on this is that be careful to let those numbers drive your investment um decisions you know, it's kind of sad to say because for so many years we were able to, to to use those numbers. I don't think we can anymore. I don't think I think we really have to dig into what's included in those numbers 
and then we have to look at the revisions, which oftentimes are contradictory to the original um, numbers that come out. So it's yes, I, I did find I did hear something that I thought was very interesting, talking about tech and talking about the Magnificent Seven. And if you go back to the seventies, there was a period of time when certain companies were cons were thought to just go to the moon. There, there were. If you think about, and I'm thinking about this having grown up in, in Massachusetts, uh, digital equipment, deck, um, Wang, um, Lotus, none of those companies are around anymore. You're talking about, you're talking about the, the Nifty 50. The Nifty 50, but, but, on, but just looking at, at the tech part of that, and, and back then there was, there was a, you know, history um, doesn't necessarily always repeat itself, but it rhymes. And we're in a similar, a similar situation with these seven stocks that are high flyers in the tech industry and people fall in love with them just as they fell in love with Deck and, and Wang and Lotus in the 70s and there, there was in people's minds there's no end to these stocks there's no limit to how far they're going to go in, in price or to how big they're going to grow so but those stocks are gone right those companies are gone I should say well, the, the, so look, I think look at the, the 2000 you know if we go even back before our our listeners, the, I'm going to help me here. The stack, yes. the stacks that were 46 percent of the Qs were uh, Intel, which is lower now than it was then. Oracle, yep. which is still lower now than it was then. I'm going to say uh, uh, Dell. They were taken private. Right. Microsoft, which is obviously still around and still doing very well, but all oh, they had a, a decade where they never moved. Who were the who were the other couple? Uh, was Oracle, Intel, uh, Cisco. Cisco's I don't think higher than it was back then. So yeah, every time that happens, that's. But uh, I have a uh, procedural question for you because I don't know the answer. If I get something from, always going back to me, right? If I get something from LL Bean on the Monday before Thanksgiving and go, Black Friday sales starting today, and I see a, a pair of slippers there. And I buy them on a Monday. Is that a Black Friday sale, or are we talking specifically the twenty-four hours of that Friday? The way people gather these numbers now. Yeah, I think I think they're talking about the twenty-four hours of those numbers on on that day, rather than the Cyber Monday, the following Monday. I'm talking about the it, the week before when you're inundated. Oh, the week before. Yeah, I'm getting. Yeah, I was getting Black Friday stuff in October, for God's sake. Well, next. Right. Yeah, and a lot of the sales were going on at certain. I think Walmart had sales through the entire month of of November. So. So you're right. Yeah, how do you gather these statistics, and how do you are you judging them based on a time period of the full? I don't have the answer to that, but I will. The answer I do have to, to that is just as you know, statistics can be massaged, and they can be. You can make numbers look however you want, and you can change the time period slightly and get a different result. So that's that's the um, concern. I would say just from you know from going through all the different statistics that. The very least you can say, and this is pretty what's pretty consistent, is that that the consumer is still spending, and I do absolutely believe that the money that that was dished out during COVID is still there. It hasn't been spent, and I do absolutely believe, and again, this is looking at certain parts of the country, that we still have higher housing prices. I think that's starting to shift um, in some places, but you know if if you go up to Boston, which is now you know my home my, my hometown, but it's also now supposedly surpassed San Francisco for the most expensive city to live in. Um, you know it's it's 
you have to you have to look at what's going on locally, but there's still very much a you know momentum in the in the housing market there. There's higher pricing in the housing market, um, and you know I know it's not the case in some of the western cities, but it's 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 um, there's still very much. Um, People still have money. People got a lot of money in the biotech industry. They have, they have massive. They have massive wealth. It's massive wealth. There's massive wealth that's still out there. It's it's the equity that you've accumulated in your in your retirement plan. You know, for the past 15 years, it's the equity that that you've accumulated in your home. And even though we like to talk to people of all ages, we got to remember that our generation, the baby boomers, are still the largest generation. If you want to look generationally, you can see a slowdown coming. But if you want to look in the short run, meaning the next year or two, I don't think we're going to see any major major changes in spending habits of quote baby boomers. And even though they may, the people who have that wealth may represent a small percentage of the people in the United States, they represent a very large percentage of, I, the uh, of money being spent. I've, I've noticed just in you know that's kind of. It's always been my, well, well, we have people of all ages at PTI, but pretty much that's been my target range. Uh, people who, essentially, since I was doing stuff on the score, which I had 20 years ago, the is people who retire, have their 401ks, and essentially want to roll it into an IRA and have somebody help them manage it. That's been my my shtick, uh, or that's been my sweet spot, basically. And, uh, not, you know, like I said, we have other people too, but... The the idea, Dan, I used to get once, twice a month, I'd have a couple show up here at PTI, and it's, you know, it's not the, we're not talking about the Merrill Lynch offices, but it's a nice place. Okay. And uh, a couple would show up and say, I listen to you, you sound like an honorable guy, by the way, here's my dough, uh, protect it for me. And, they, and the number was always a million, million five, because uh, people... If, if both worked and you when you dutifully did your 401k contribution and maybe you got a match that's the number people came out with we're talking yes, yep. 15 I years agree. ago and now I'm going to say that whole group uh, you know and I, you know we don't have as many people pouring in as we used to we still have some but I'm going to say somewhere along the line most of them have been nicked by a kid with them insurance that was in the hospital had to help another kid buy a house, something, something. The, the, the money is not anywhere near a flow-through as it was 15 years ago. So there's been an issue along the way. Somebody was sick, somebody was something. Yep. And, uh, and it's been it's been like snagged out of a lot of people. But the difference, I mean, there, there's, there's so great a difference in the world that I see. And I honestly don't know. That's why I ask guys like you. I don't know. I mean, I look at this, this Las Vegas Sands, okay? Right, we, we're talking about a casino that's been around forever, okay? It's a casino, a hotel. They're trading 56 PE, all right? That's a lot. All right, so this lady sells $2 billion shares of $2 billion worth of her Las Vegas Sands stuff, which is her got to be play money, right? And goes and, right. Buys a, and goes and buys a basketball team at a price where you and I would sit there and say, what are you doing? It's, right. At some level, we get to the top 5 or 3 or 2%, there is so much cash, you can't you can't even look at the statistics because for all the people running around looking for a bargain on a Christmas thing, somebody else is buying somebody a five carat ring and not even thinking about it. So right. I, don't, I don't even know how you 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 use some sort of a deflator. I don't even know how you 
I mean, the PCE deflator to me is a joke. These guys, I don't, I, I, honestly, Dan, I, I bitch about the statistics, but I'm not so sure how I would do them either. The, the, and, and I agree with you on the, on the, you know, the average account size and, and, and all that, because we've seen the same thing and you're absolutely right. We see people taking money out of IRAs early to pay property taxes, to buy a new house, a new car, some, unex, some unexpected cost with, with one of their children or say to, to put the down payment on a child's house. They weren't really thinking about all these things initially. So that we're seeing, and as you're saying, and I agree, you go to the next level and it seems like there's an endless amount of money, like there's an endless supply um, that's coming. And part of that is that money has snowballed um, over the years. And, and right now it's still, I guess my point is that it's still snowballing. There hasn't been a huge, you know, for that next level, there hasn't been a huge um, sell-off, if you will, in the market or in the, or in the housing market or in the areas where they're invested. I wanted to quickly mention three Go ahead. stock fire, ideas. Fire away, bud. Fire away. I'm sorry. Fire away. Yeah. So, so as I as I mentioned, I looking at um, adding some equities in here, and I would say add up to 10% to your portfolio. I think we're in good good shape um, in the foreseeable future. I don't think we're going to see a red right rate hike. Number two, look at the corporate bonds that you purchased, several of which we made recommendations for. OMF, MPO, um, and and look at Xerox was one. Those spreads have tightened tremendously in the last few weeks to a point where they're not worth holding. So look to lighten up there. And also on the on the and and if you want to buy something um, to offset that, Dodge and Cox has a really good mutual fund that's going to give you um, diversification. D O D I X D O D I X. It's a very steady eddy fixed income fund. It'll give you, you'll be able to participate in the various sectors of the fixed income market. And as rates go down, this, this fund will do well. And, the, and then still, we still like six, four to six month T-bills in here. But the, uh, the final thing is munis still look very attractive, but they are running fast. So we started talking about munis maybe six weeks ago and we've already seen um, some price action like some very rapid price action but they they look attractive still a single a that you can get for seven percent a short-term single a that you can get for seven percent on an after-tax basis is very attractive all right dan hey take care bud i might uh hit you up for uh i gotta i got we gotta catch up on the dan we, we missed you last week maybe uh, maybe next tuesday morning i think brendan's on a cruise maybe tuesday morning i could tap you we'll, but we'll talk about it Okay, we'll uh, talk about it. Anyway, right. th- thanks, bud. Good stuff. SP Futures up 16. NASDAQ is up 55. Be right back, Mr. John Flanagan. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Stocks. 
jocks, and jocks, stocks, and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, North Bay Station Jacks. I'm Tom, Tom Howell. Matt, Matt, no, you're not Matt Byrne. You're a Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures are up 15. NASDAQ Futures up 48. We're trying to make a run for it like we did yesterday, and then we had a couple of Fed speaks that uh, threw some cold water on our rally. But we're trying again today. Maybe we'll make it to Dow up 210. reason for that is Salesforce of 21 bucks. They had earnings last night. Uh, Greg, I'm going to say twice the straddle. The straddle was maybe well, not twice. Straddle is a 14, and it's up so 50% higher than the straddle. We've seen that how many times in the last few weeks? This has got to be the one year where if you could go back and just go along the straddle on earnings, you'd be, I don't think I've ever seen a year like this, where some some of these are doubled, you know, 150% of the straddle, 200%. Usually the market's really good on those numbers, not lately. Over in Europe, uh, the DAX up 85, 0.5%, FTSE up 57, 0.8%, CAC around up 46.6%. Over in Asia, very strange. Nikkei up 165, it's 0.5%. Hang Seng, after getting hammered yesterday below 17,000, even with the rallies here, is only up 49 points, 17,042. And Shanghai is still very close to this 3,000 level, 3,029, only up 8 bucks this morning. So these guys still look like they're in a world of hurt. And it's hard to figure out exactly what's going on over there, but it doesn't look too good. A Dow up 13 yesterday. Uh, S&P down four, Nasdaq down twenty-two. Like I said, we were up, we were up thirty, I think, in the S&P in the morning, and ended up down four. It's, it's a big turnaround, but doesn't seem to bother us today. Uh, bonds up two basis points, four point two nine. The Bund up, uh, well, fractionally to two point four three. Japan unchanged as well at point six seven. So not much going on in the bond world. Oil up of a buck fourteen, seventy-nine dollars exactly. Rent up a dollar fourteen eighty-four twenty-four. Maybe oil get back over eighty here. Who knows? Uh, natural gas up three cents, two eighty-three. Gold, which has been on a real run, is down four sixty. It was down more than that earlier, so uh, it's two thousand forty-two. So that's not much of a dip. Silver up two cents, twenty-five oh nine. Copper up a penny, three eighty. We've got Bitcoin up a one seventy-one, thirty-seven thousand eight ninety-one. And causing a lot of this is the is the dollar is actually stronger today for the first time in a while. But still, euro's over one oh nine and the pound's over one twenty-six. So. Uh, we need a few days of this. It was going to go back to where it was a few weeks ago. What do you got for us, Traffic Weather Sports? Good morning, everyone. 735 in Chicago. 39 degrees here. 51 today with fog and a slight breeze. Phoenix is 51 degrees right now. 66 today with mostly cloudy. Traffic inbound Kennedy Montrose to the interchange is 43 minutes. Inbound Edens from Lake Cook, 74 minutes. Ike from Wolf, 43 minutes. 95th to the interchange on the Rhine is 33 minutes. And inbound Stevenson from 294 to the Rhine is 40 minutes. Blackhawks beat the Kraken at home. That was 4-3. Coyotes beat Lightning at home. That was 3-1. NBA, the Suns lost to the Raptors yesterday. That was 105-112. And tonight, the Bulls play the Bucks at the UC. And M, uh, NFL on Prime. Seahawks at Cowboys tonight. And Dallas is 9.5 point favorites. That's all I got, Chief. Um, you have to tell me all about that game tomorrow, you know? Just got to head out to... The local, some, pub, yeah. the local pub? Or now, well, when was the last time you saw me going to someplace like a pub? Uh, I don't know, 36 hours ago? <laughs> last night, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. Um, hey, uh, I, I, John, are you with us? Yeah, I am. Good morning. 
You ever see like one of your uh, nieces or nephews when they're like one years old and they get a new toy or Audrey's poodle getting a new do- toy? And how, oh. how happy they are? It restores my faith and you know, what's, what's good about life. <laughs> well, I, f- I feel like that this morning. Somehow or another, I was hacking around here and I find a jewel on the net every once in a while. John Williams' Shadow Government Statistics. And there's this other place called uh, Tom's Inflation Calculator. I don't know how the hell I found this. But it'll give you the inflation, the CPI, from 1665 to 2100. Uh, uh, Social Security Wage Index, Medical Care Inflation, CPIU, which I think is the way they used to do the uh, uh, CPI, uh, personal, the PCE number, and they'll give you the shadow stats inflation, how they recalculate what it really is. And it is, I've just been messing with this thing. It, it's unreal. I've got... You're not going to emerge from your computer for weeks, Tom. I just... <laughs> God, I, I have, I have a, the starting year uh, dollar amount, $1, um, 2007, and the last year they go to the end of the year is 2022. Duh. Consumer price index over that period of time is... Guess guess how much? Devote to you guys. Devote. 2007. Over 15 years? Uh, yeah, 15 years. Well, 2007, the financial crash till now. Well, okay. Uh, no, the CPI is up 41 cents. It's up It's up like 20 cents since uh, COVID, February 20. But if you look in the shadow stats number, that is $1 worth $1.41, right? The shadow stats number is $4.18. <laughs> We're not even on the same planet. I'm sure they, they, they look at medical costs, they look at college tuition, right. all that stuff. They got it up four times you know, in the same 15 years as the government has it up 40%. Of course, the irony, Tom, is that the shadow is really the reality. Yeah. Now, if, if you want to go here, to, let's, let's change this to, to 2019, 019, until today. The the shadow is exact number I keep talking about, a dollar forty three. If you look at the CPI, they've got it exactly what we talked about earlier, dollar fourteen. Actually, it's a little higher than I think. Uh, then there's this CPU, whatever the hell that is. It's got a dollar sixteen. PCE. This is the one that the Fed allegedly uses, a dollar twelve. So the Fed is looking at a number that's a quarter what it really is, and that's. When you see the GDP numbers yesterday, uh, what you're su- what you're supposed to do, uh, the gross domestic product means you take all the stuff, everything you do, services, goods, you name it, you add them all together, and that's how much you know the economy is. But if you have any inflation going, you got to you got to decrease that by the amount of inflation to get the real number. So when you see a number of like last month, five point two percent or five percent, make it easy. Uh, annual growth, they're saying that number is really 7% and inflation's 2, so the net is 5. So if you keep messing with the inflation number, you, you, you totally overstate the growth number. Or the other way around. You could make the mistake both sides, but these guys are not going to make the mistake going the other way. I uh, was asking Dan a lot of questions about you know what we're seeing, Jan. I, I, uh, the phenomenon, and this is more your thing, and maybe I'll Obviously, talk more about it on, on uh, Monday if Nancy's on. But 
what do you what do you make of the housing prices still creeping up, even though well, the mortgage rates have come back down in the last couple of weeks somewhat, uh, still creeping up really since the start of mortgage rates going up. And you and I know that the the monthly cost to be in a house has skyrocketed since then. But because of various things that I've never seen before, people can't move, so the supply is restricted, constricted almost. How do you, how do you look at a number? I mean, if you're if you're an economist, if you're a hell snart, it's more into the numbers than I am. You look at a, at a market like housing, which is big as can be. On the one hand, you say, "Wow, the wealth that people have gained by their houses going up by 150." Well, they've gone up virtually 100,000 a house since the beginning of COVID, right? What's the median gone from three something to 406? Yep. So so it's say 80,000, 90,000 a house which is roughly 40%, right? My number again, right? Uh, So everybody has this, quote, wealth, yet in the back of your mind, you know that if, and let's sure hope this doesn't happen, if 10% of the people get laid off and have to go get a job in another area and have to sell, at some level here, even in Orland where Audrey or the south suburbs where Audrey operates, and she goes everywhere else too, but the idea is, um, what's the number if there's five houses on the market and Audrey's struggling to get somebody in one and does what happens if all of a sudden there's and I don't know the number John if it's 50 or 100 or 200 where, where's the demand going to come from then because the other people can't leave their three I'm saying it, it, the, that, is the, that is the most dangerous group of wealth, maybe the, t- maybe the top 10 stocks are the same way. That's, that's the most wobbly growth wealth in- increase I think I've ever seen in my lifetime. And yet, I hope it doesn't come tumbling down. I mean, but I know it's, it's seemingly non-sustainable unless we manage to get together three, four years in a row where everybody just keeps their hand in a boat and keeps getting a little bit of a raise and we gradually grow into it. I'd love to see that happen. I don't know. Has it ever happened? Well, I mean, it did happen in the uh, Great Depression, where you know you had people being thrown out on the street every day. Yeah, in big numbers. Um, a pr- property that you know, whose values crashed. You know, within a period of you know twelve eighteen months, um, and they still couldn't give the houses away even if they reduced prices. Uh, th- you know, the, the the disturbing thing for me is that uh, the reason housing values haven't you know, collapse, you know, let alone decline very much, is because you, you're seeing an accentuation of the disparity in wealth, where there's still enough people who aren't affected by high interest rates, who are in the housing market and will pay, you know, cash for a house, um, or don't care about the interest rate, they do want to finance it, uh, they're not worried in the same way that most people that, you know, I know, or myself included, are worried about what I would do if I had to go out and, and compete with people for a house. Uh, that's that's been you know I think the reason why housing values haven't crashed yet because there's still enough people who are in good shape. Well, the people that are when you say good shape, the people that are in the last well I don't know, pay attention to all our stuff, but I'm gonna say at least half of the last twelve sales Aud has had has just been people. Trading neighborhoods, selling one one place, buying one another place. So, they're they're just they're like the lady who bought 
you know, she got $2 billion out of a casino and put it in a, in a, in a basketball team. You're, you're, you're trading places. You're not, you're not doing price discovery at that point. You know what I'm saying you're, doing, you're mm-hmm. doing relative price discovery. You know, I'm selling my bungalow here, and I'm buying a townhouse here. They're the same number. I'm, I'm, you know, I bought the bungalow 30 years ago for X. I'm getting this money out of it, and I'm putting it in a townhome. You're, that, that, that's more of a, a trade than a, than a, than a value-seeking, something that tells you anything about value, I think. There's a di- right. the, the, first of all, there shouldn't be transactions like that. Everyone should let you know what the value is, but I don't, I don't know. But I mean, I guess what what happens if, I mean, like it was in 2007, how many people could afford the house they were in? And I think it got to the point where not very many, and we were there again. Now, 2007, we had all the crazy stuff with the the mortgage and the credit default swaps and everything that, that caused the fiasco where every, where everything just blew up. I don't see something like that here on the horizon, but the, you know, John, the thing that really, the politics of it is the Fed has to see what I'm seeing. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here managing money money for people, hanging around with guys like you. I, mean, I, I don't have the, the incredible, I don't have, I'm going to say 50, 500 bleeps working for me, feeding me these numbers, doing these analysis for me. If I was privy to that kind of information, they have to know what you and I are seeing. So you would think that let's just let's just run this as lean as we can, not, and let's hope everybody is going to grow into this. Doesn't mean for the next five years you lie to people again and say inflation is two percent when it's five, and you pump the market up another how many thousand points in the Dow, and, and make everybody even wealthy. You don't just keep going on it, but it looks to me like that's what they're going to do now. That the market's up this month. Because Jay Powell said last month that's what he's going to do. He's not going to attempt to touch the price level. He's If inflation is three or four for a while, his goal is still two, but if it takes him four generations to get there, he's okay with it. That's that's the message I heard from the guy. Now, everybody tells me I'm nuts, but the market's acting like they got the same message I did, don't you think? Yeah. They'll mask the, the true situation and you know, run things the way they've been running them as long as they can until they no longer can. And the, the, the point at which it becomes obvious to everybody that the whole thing is run out of gas, um, it's going to, it will happen at some point. I can't say for sure when. I don't want to speculate either. But we don't, we don't want, to, we don't, we don't want to see that. It's, and it's, well, it will transform everything, such, such that you know, it'll transform our political system too. Uh, we, we, nothing will be. The same, and nothing will be, you know, the sort of thing that we want to live with for very long. It'll, it'll be such turmoil that uh, people aren't, aren't equipped to, to deal with that in rational ways, and they'll, they'll behave very irrationally. But, but look at how irrational this run-up really is, Tom. I mean, I, I, I can't expect people to, you know, say that anything like this can continue where we're just borrowing. Well, I think what can continue, uh, Jan, is just like it's not like two thousand and seven. More like 2000. There was a massive crash in the five or yeah. six stocks that everybody was in, and they went down. Some of them were down 90%. But we had we had clients that get touched at all. They didn't have any of those things. And, you, and right now, I, I don't necessarily think that if if you own the stocks that were, the, I'll say, the total losers this year, and maybe if you're now in the end of the year, we're going to get together. Greg's uh, working on this for us. Very nice of him. We're going to try and get together the industries that we want to be in next year. And we don't know if they'll be the same ones as this year. I mean, last year, you couldn't get anybody to get in high tech. Everybody says now they all they all run it. No, they weren't. Everybody wanted out. 
and everybody wanted in banking, everybody wanted in oil. Those were all down in the year, or darn near. So I, I don't think that somebody who owns Ford or Telephone, or I'm not you know, pushing those stocks or anything, or, or even UPS, or stocks that haven't really participated, if these other ones come crashing down 30%, which I'm not predicting, I don't know that you get hurt that bad there. I think, I think if NVIDIA gets repriced at 300 which I'm not predicting, I think the person who gets hurt is the guy who owns NVIDIA. I don't, I don't know that it's going to take the Qs with it, the QQQs, but I don't know that if you, if you own uh, you know, Macy's that you're, that you're going down that much. It, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be tied to it. It's something that, you know, I'm reminded of what you and Kevin were talking about and others too about you know, the bloat in education and you know, the proliferation of administrators and non-teaching positions in universities and the, and the incredible cost run-up. But there was a, a piece I saw in yesterday's Daily Mail, which I, I often look at just because they, they cover stuff that press in this country doesn't touch. But there's a story in there about 45% of U.S. corporations are now getting rid of the bachelor's degree as a minimum requirement for um, many entry-level jobs, some mid-level jobs, and also you know career path jobs, too, in diminishing numbers across the scale. So there, there will always be some value for a college education. But it isn't going to help people at entry-level slots, apparently, over the long haul. If, if you know, this includes banks and investment companies and everything else who are just saying no to college degrees, what's that going to mean for, you know, the run-up in education costs? Um, to me, that's, you know, the, finally the, the bursting of the education bubble, which had to happen at some point, but it's going to be cataclysmic in other ways for the economy and for the, you know, the future prosperity of the country if a college degree is totally discredited. So I'm, I'm kind of... I'm well, I don't, I don't know that that's just because somebody writes an article like that. We've been listening to Kevin now for a long time, and it it seems pretty obvious to me that if somebody, you know, maybe maybe they went into service, whatever, wherever they did, maybe they went into service, maybe they, they, you know, they went in oil rigs for two years, but somebody who you want to hire that is going to uh, you know, Ivy Tech at night and, and picks up a few skill sets I don't see any reason why a bank wouldn't hire that person oh, yeah, as, not, as, a, as not, a teller no, uh, and hopefully no, I'm they, not excusing this you know, that this is going to make you unmarketable or anything else I just am thinking though that the value of a college degree is, is clearly being tested here and it's been found wanting in some places, as I think it has been, as, as you know, the, the quality of the educational product has been diminished by all of this overspending on, on everything but education. Well, I, so, as you know, I have a, I, I have a totally different I, I, view of this. When, when you pit people who have college degrees against those who don't in a job situation, um, it's certainly going to mean a loss of compensation packages over the long haul. This is, I'm sure, why corporations have found that they can do this and not lose anything and pay people less because they don't have, you know, somebody who's looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt in their student loans. Um, they don't have to, you know, think about that kind of stuff. And it's going to make it harder for people with legitimate degrees, you know, with a, a good education and, you know, values and everything else that go along with it. It's going to be harder for them to compete at, at an entry level 
for jobs that traditionally went to college graduates without anybody else being in the pool at all. It, it, that kind of thinking is going to be very destructive, is what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's, it's, it's right. Um, I think the colleges have deserved that kind of readjustment, though, for the way they've treated students and the way they've you know, treated the families of students to try to support this ridiculous you know, bubble that they've created. But it's, it's going to be a, a, a real reckoning that I think is going to change so many things about where people, you know, set their goals and, you know, what they're willing to spend money for and the number of colleges that will survive at the end of this. And, the, you know, the community colleges will probably have a better survival rate than, you know, a small liberal arts college in a town most people have never heard of. Um, that's been happening already quite a bit. So there's a shakeout that I, I think is going to take a lot of people's dreams and, you know, pocketbooks with it. Well, I, I've always, uh, my uh, different point of view on this, really yours is probably closer to mine than most, but I, I never view, I never viewed it as a, uh, even when I was going to Notre Dame, I never viewed it as a uh, vocational school. I mean, I viewed it as... No, as, well, no. I mean, I, the idea that uh, at the price we paid... My parents could have cared less if I came out and was a carpenter. Well, but they probably would have thought, uh, you know, you're you, you're not that good of a carpenter. <laughs> they might have thought, what are you doing being a carpenter? <laughs> that would come out real fast. <laughs> washed, right? yeah, you know, that, that house looks a little bit crooked. <laughs> Did yeah. you build that one? Uh, that could just have tilt been, your head a little bit. <laughs> just tilt your head and be okay. But the idea that somebody could go out of high school and be really good could go to work at a bank as you know, demeaning a teller. They probably can count fine. They're going to class at night. They pick up a couple of marketing things, and all of a sudden you put the guy or the lady in your marketing department as a trainee, and they do it a little bit more, and all of a sudden they got some financial stuff. I, I don't, I don't, I don't have any issue. I mean, I, I think that's spectacular. I, I don't have any issue with that. I don't know why that, that stop that stuff ever stopped if it ever did, John. I think firms got lazy. And they just looked at the selection process. God, I hired this guy from Harvard. We paid up for him. I paid, we we were relying on Harvard's selection process or something crazy like that. Or, I mean, or just let the prestige of the name. Prestige of the name. You know, like if I'm a law firm, I, ca- I can't. I mean, uh, I, I can't have uh, Joe Jamoke who went to uh, well, what's the one down here, in the South Loop. Uh, Marshall at night. I can't charge him out his first day at five hundred dollars an hour. But if he's from Yale, I can't even know. Neither one of them seem to know anything or or, or whatever. I mean, it, there's something about that. But but this, this is a certain amount. Of, I I think that people should want education for education's sake. I mean, I I wanted to learn economics not because I was going to get a job teaching economics, because I thought it was fascinating. And I, you know, I went to University of Chicago, and I don't know where I've ever quote used all my degree. But I know for one thing, Jan, no matter where I was, at, if I was at Allied Van Lines, they put me in a room with the consultants because I was the guy who was educated. At Pullman, whenever Marsh McLennan showed up, I was the guy. I mean, it was, I was never intimidated by anybody. Well, part of that's my Southside mentality to start with, but and hang around with you guys for four years. But, uh, but I, was, I was never overmatched, and they knew it. You know, I, I didn't. I mean, I was overmatched a couple times when, when I was in a room about uh, computer stuff because I don't know anything about it. <laughs> I'm sitting there like a dummy, uh, and I admit it. 
but I, you know, I mean, you, you education is there for you, you. Want you want my mom never stopped going to school till the year before she died. She was still going to Xavier at night taking history classes. I mean, it wasn't like she was going to get a job from it. I mean, it, this whole idea that you're paying two hundred and fifty grand because you're going to make, you know, three hundred grand more in your first three years. I never bought into that. Did you? I I never did, Tom. But the colleges did. Well, they I mean, sold that. I, I, yeah, I could, I could see it happening if, even in my years at, at the community college level, where it, it was a transactional relationship that they wanted to establish with the student as consumer, and the customer is always right. So, in a grade dispute or in any kind of complaint, whatever, you had to shut the student up, give them what the student wanted. And of course, this means grade inflation and a lack of rigorous standards all across the board which every university has been guilty oh, of yeah. in some oh, way yeah. or another, to keep people you know, paying the bills and to you know, let them tout their statistics about completion rates and retention. Well, be average now, be average now you're a dummy, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But, what, what, but that education now, whatever it was, whatever it, our expectations of what it was supposed to be were, the whole process has been so devalued now in this process that you can't really expect employers to pay you for the luxury of, of having what to them is a completely meaningless degree well, whatever did we know maybe you learned a lot and maybe it would help you out in some tough spot to have that kind of skill set you know created by that education but I, I don't think you're going to find a lot of businesses who are willing to take a risk on that well did you know I think our late friend Bob Golden might have because he came out with a accounting degree out of our, our group of 10 knaves did any one of us have a job interview? I didn't. No. No, but I mean, some of the guys... The, like, only, the only interview I got, Tom, really, that ended up the job was one where I was the only person with a college graduate working in the department. What, well, you know, so they were taking a, taking a chance on me because I was clearly over, you know, qualified for the job I was seeking but because I couldn't get any other jobs. Well, I'm going to say, well, a couple of guys um, knew they were going to... Well, we know... We know Probably the smartest of the bunch was Tom Conway. We knew he was going to get his PhD in chemistry. He ended up working for NOAA, right? So, I mean, you know, Tom was was way off the chart when it came to numbers and, and chemistry and stuff. He ended up getting what he got his his uh, master's of Ohio State and his PhD at Rhode Island or something. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, he, we don't we know we knew uh, uh, Doctor Blade was going to go into his stuff. He was going to get in psychology or whatever. He loved that stuff, um, <laughs> even though. <laughs> Whatever. Did he have to do an extra class to get out? I, I, I don't know. So we, we, did, we did, a couple of us did end well. <laughs> our our, our history is littered with those stories. <laughs> <laughs> the history of our group. But I mean, a couple of guys knew that their parents had a business they were going to go into, and, and a bunch, but a few others went to law school and stuff, right? I mean, and uh, yeah. Bob did, and but I mean, there was no line of people trying to try to hire our asses out of. Out of plus, it was a horrendous. Depression year, nineteen seventy four. The worst possible time to graduate from college. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I got a summer job with the, uh, uh, you know, with uh, Chicago Public Schools, and I fled into uh, into grad school, and I was still able to work weekends on the truck docks. I, I was fine, you know, living at home, making three hundred hours a week or two hundred fifty hours a week on the truck docks and dry, and commuting to school. And I, I, I didn't have a care in the world. You know, I could. I mean, it was great. And, uh, and by the way, University of Chicago was a spectacular thing. I never. I guess I was going to get a job when I was done with it, but I was so happy to l- learn it from those kind of guys. I didn't even really... W- it was different. Now, what if I had paid seventy grand? I don't know what I would have thought. Right. I, I, like, well, what am I doing why, here? You know, 
what's happened in, in the 50 years since then, Tom, I think has, has made people ill-prepared for having the whole thing recalibrated, where the jobs will be fewer to start with. They'll be lower quality because they'll be, you know, m machines can do the sort of jobs that you might have had spent a long part of your life learning how to do. Some other, you know, programmer can fix that in a couple of minutes. Um, and you're going to have an educational system that has just, you know, gobbled up all this money and put people in debt with the expectation that somehow this will be worth your while in 30 or 40 years. You'll, you'll, you'll marry well, you'll find your marriage partner, all this other stuff is part of your college experience. I think that's all just going to be seen as a lot of fun. Well, if it's not we, already a bunch none of, of these kids, we got a dash here, but none of these kids at work, I'm not saying nobody does, but it, kids, I, I learned so much about human people, human people, how's that for a, a double something, uh, by working at these schools in the summer and by working on the truck docks and learning those industries, I learned I learned as much there almost as I did in the school. Now, you have people who never had never had a job at all. I mean, right. you, it's not the it's not the money you make; it's what you learn doing it. Right. And why don't these and, parents and get you that? Can't ex you can't expect college in any shape or form unless you're, it's got a professional tilt to it in science or medicine or something to prepare you for a job. That 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 should never become the mentality, but it clearly is the mentality now. Well, you never learn how to, to give you the leg up in a job interview if you got a hoity-toity degree degree next year, man. Well, I never learned how to varnish. That's, that's a shame. Shame. We never learned how to varnish a gym floor, don't it, him? No. Just say there's, there's a great need for that skill set. <laughs> you you got to swing the hips. S&P futures up seven days. You know, we've, we've leaked down here some. John, thank you very much. Maybe I'll see you one of these days, you know. Uh, back tomorrow, yeah. Stocks and Jacks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.